Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Today, I'm speaking with Kelsey Larrick, co-founder and CEO of 365 Holdings, and we will be talking a lot about mergers and acquisitions within the e-commerce space. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Kelsey, I started Hadley Designs back in 2015, and I grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years. However, I made a lot of mistakes along the way, and there were times that I had a lot of self-doubt as to whether, can I run a successful business? Could my brand become a real brand? And I wish I would have had a guide along the way to help me move faster and avoid a lot of those stumbling blocks that I encountered. If you've hit the same plateaus and you want to know the next steps to take to take your business to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do to enter to win is to email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com and tell me why you should be the one that wins this free strategy audit. In the subject line, just make sure you mention strategy audit. And if you don't win this month, don't worry because you'll be entered to win for future months to come. But today I'm super excited to introduce you to Kelsey Larrick. Kelsey is one of the founders of 365 Holdings, which buys and grows e-commerce brands. Kelsey has a deep experience in e-commerce mergers and acquisitions. Kelsey is also the host of the Hold Co. Conference, which is the official unconference of Micro PE, where holding companies meet, learn, scale, and grow. Kelsey also challenges himself through CrossFit, rucking, marathon training, and endurance hobbies, but enjoys most of the time spent with his wife and two sons. Welcome to the podcast, Kelsey. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Kelsey, I attended Holdco Conference. Uh, what was that? I think that was in July this year. You did a fantastic job. That was your first ever Holdco Conference. Tell our guests a little bit more about this Holdco Conference because I think it's really unique and you're kind of one of the first to kind of come up with this type of holding company conference. Yeah, so appreciate the kind words and glad you could come and uh, we'll see you there next year. Uh, dates coming soon. Um, so I have a friend in town named John Wilson. Uh, you can find him on the internet. He's pretty public. Um, he and I met and we both have, um, call it 50 to 100 employees, multiple tens of millions of revenue, and we have multiple businesses. And we knew a few other people that had similar circumstances. And there really was no event, no conference, no um, kind of home base or hangout place for people like us. And one day I'm like, hey, like, why don't we go ahead and we'll host the party? Uh, and so John and I partnered on that project. And uh, from January, when it was kind of hatched with a tweet, to July was a bit of a wild ride, but it was a lot of fun. We we're really proud of the first year. And um, yeah, it's meant to be the place that multi-business entrepreneurs called the holding company, um, meet, learn, scale, and grow. But the, the kind of niche there is that if you're in software and you're venture-backed, there's a conference for you. 
If you are in real estate, there's a conference for you. If you are in insert any industry, um, sales, metal stamping, uh, mobile home parks, whatever it is, there's a conference for you. If you're a Holdco entrepreneur, there really wasn't a place to call your own. And our vision for Holdco Conf is to be kind of that home base for people like us. Yeah, I love that. I love what you guys have, have started there. And I think we'll dive into that a little bit in more detail later in this podcast. But Kelsey, you've got a vast experience in e-commerce. Obviously, you have a holding company that has multiple brands. You've acquired multiple e-commerce brands. You've grown them. You've scaled them. So you have a wealth of knowledge. And for our listeners that have established businesses, they're looking to take things to the next level. I think they're going to be able to learn a lot from you. So why don't we rewind the tapes a little bit, Kelsey? And why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into the e-commerce world to begin with? And then what led to the formation of 365 Holdings? So six years ago, my partner and I, his name is Justin, um, kind of the ideas guy, and he's um, kind of the executor. So if you're familiar with EOS, I've got a kind of a visionary CEO role, and he's kind of the uh, integrator or COO. Uh, and he and I have worked together for a long time. And prior to e-commerce, it was kind of like um, the same idea. However, instead of ideas and strategy and like execution, it was like I was the sales guy and he was like the ops guy in all of our prior businesses. But we weren't online. We'd never, never run ads, never shipped products. But we had sold a, a business for just enough money to make a down payment uh, on an SBA loan. We had sold a business for $100,000, which was a lot of money. Uh, we did not hold any of it aside for taxes. We put all hundred grand down on the $900,000 loan to buy the million dollar first business. That was like how we got started. And then like 60 days later, we drained the checking account and maxed out the line of credit and, went and bought another one. Uh, and thus, thus begins the compounding. So um, yeah, six years ago, uh, by, by two that, that uh, spring and summer, um, we had always had a vision of that's the hold co-conf topic, wanting to run many businesses. We, we wanted to have diversity. I get feedback like, hey, what if you focused? And what if you just did one thing? Could it be bigger? And my answer is like, I don't know, probably, but like, this is the business I want to have. I want to do many things. Uh, one, I think it's financially from a diversification perspective. Uh, two, I think it's fun. It's like what I want. So like, yes, this is what I'm doing. I'm sure it's like slightly less optimal than, I don't know. Um, but this six years have elapsed. And today we've got uh, 80 some employees, six brands. Uh, we're in Akron, Ohio and heavily vertically integrated. So we do... In-house customer service, in-house pickback and ship. We have a 60,000 square foot warehouse. We do all our own supply chain, content creation, marketing, media buying, all those kind of traditional go-to-market items for e-commerce. Uh, we also do a little bit of in-house manufacturing. Two of our food businesses, we have part of that, that value chain under our roof. And uh, the future for us is focused on food, baby, and consumable. So we're really going to focus in uh, our e-commerce practice into those three verticals and continue to find brands we can acquire and grow. I love that. What what a great rundown and it's exciting everything that you guys are are working on. So tell us about that first brand that you guys acquired, you know, when you guys formed your partnership there. Uh is that still a brand that you guys have as one of your holding companies today? Yeah. Uh so uh, today it's called Steel River, uh, which is a private label line of outdoor tools, mostly knives, backpacks, flashlights, stuff like that. Uh kind of tactical gear is the category we're in. Uh, that was the first one that we bought six years ago, and we still own it. We've sold and bought a few along the way that aren't um, in the portfolio today, but everything we've done that's been um, meaningful has uh, been operated and maybe sold. We've only ever um, had poor success when I got bored and we bought something too small. So in our history, there's been a couple <laughs> of brands where like, 
I went and spent 30 grand to quote unquote buy a company. We were already doing millions of dollars in revenue and had a dozen people or whatever, whatever we were doing. But like me as founder goes and buys a $30,000 asset that does 50 grand in revenue. Like that's a terrible idea. And I did it more than once. I did it like honestly like four times. And Justin's like, we can't like never again. Like if it's not big enough, I don't care how bored you are. Like take a week off, like just do something, but don't buy another small company. Go on a go on a thirty thousand dollar vacation. What you Correct. can't say. Yeah, instead of burning our money on inventory. Correct. What? So tell me a little bit more about that because I think that's important for many entrepreneurs, myself included. Like it's that shiny object syndrome. You're like, oh, I see a good opportunity, and you're like, I, I got to go. So, I got to do it. So on like kind of, you, on the flip side, the last time that happened, okay. I started the conference, and apparently you're a satisfied customer. So it, it can work. <laughs> uh, it can work. It's just not um, not advisable under most circumstances. So, but I think that's a good principle though. And I, I want to dive into this a little bit more because you, like you had mentioned, you were already doing millions, right? And some of your other brands. And yep. then you kind of look at these other guys and you're like, oh, this is a good opportunity. It's much smaller, mm-hmm. but you know, we've had kind of a similar experience with our own brand. It was one of the mistakes that I shared in my earlier podcast of my top five mistakes. Go check that out if you <laughs> haven't listened to those. But one of those things is like we started, we hit seven figures on Amazon and then I started distracting myself with like, well, we need to go create a blog now and let's go. And it's like, dude, like you don't know what you're up against right now. Like, and and so we diverted all of our time and attention to something that, you know, really ended up actually never paying off. But anyways, I think some of those same principles apply. So would you mind sharing maybe some of the, you know, the history of what is that you were looking at? Why, why was that a mistake? There's this weird balance of um, leaning into your strengths on one end of the spectrum and then the other end of the spectrum. Uh, so like leaning into your strengths or focus is like one piece of advice. And on the other end is like what got you here won't get you there. And knowing the difference of where you are in that spectrum at a certain point in time uh, is a muscle that I certainly don't have figured out, but has been exercised a lot in our business. And it's a uh, it's probably the, the biggest inflection points are knowing when to calibrate for change versus leaning in and, and doing what works well. Uh, it's been an interesting journey in that regard. So I, I certainly point to like many times where we've had to make intentional decisions about team structure, um, organizational design, brands we are or aren't going to buy, uh, initiatives we are or aren't going to take on to move towards goals. And the more clear that I can get as a leader about our goals the vision and the actual economic engine that drives the business forward and what the most important levers are, the more clearly I can communicate those big ideas that make a lot of sense in my mind, but I tend to oversimplify and under-communicate and be light on details, the more I can fight against that and give a succinct, uh, very clear, very direct execution path for the team, the better we do. Even if it's a change, I still need to have that level of, of detail there for them. Yeah, I think that's so important. I, I mean, what a great principle there, a leadership principle. And as an entrepreneur and visionary of the organization, you've got to be very good at articulating what that vision is. And then, as you mentioned, Kelsey, like identifying what are the big levers, right? The big rocks that are actually going to move the needle in the business because it's way too e- easy to get caught in the thick of thin things, right? Where, hey, this looks cool or you know, if you look at all the big brands, they're everywhere, right? So, well, naturally, we should be everywhere. We should be on Twitter and we should be on TikTok and we need to have this full-on content strategy. It's like, okay, yeah, that's that's well and good. Let's strive to get there. Like, let's take it one piece yeah. at a time, you yeah. know? So, great, great advice. Now, Kelsey, 
one of my previous podcast guests was Roland Frazier. And he talked a lot about, you know, acquisitions as ways to, you know, grow your business, especially if you're looking to exit and you want to add multiples to your business. Like what a better way, if you want to double your sales, there's no better way than to go acquire another business that's equal to what you're doing right now. And bam, you've just doubled your business. Now, much easier said than done, obviously. But Kelsey, with mature businesses that are our audience here, mergers and acquisitions, I think are an important topic. What advice would you share with maybe a seller, right? That has an e-commerce brand. They're doing well right now, seven figures plus, uh, but they have no experience in acquisitions or mergers. They're considering it. Sounds fun. What advice would you be giving them? And do you think that 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 is a good way to help them get to the next level? Uh, It definitely can be. I think the most important thing is kind of being true to yourself and your goals and understanding whether or not it is. I don't think there's anything I can say on a podcast that will um, that should decide that for you. Maybe there's a few tidbits that might help you make a decision. Uh, whether it's raising money from investors or buying a business or like insert kind of a big objective in there, I think that having self awareness around your own skill set, your own goals, your own priorities, what you value, what's right for you and your family, um, financially, situationally, all those things rolled together is an unlock. And so I look at what we've done historically, we have been very opportunistic. Uh, We're gonna be doing, there'll be some content if somebody listens to this in a few months, they Google us, like they'll find some changes in the 365 ecosystem. Uh, We're getting more intentional, more determined and focused in a handful of things. Whereas historically we've been pretty opportunistic and pretty open to a lot. You'll see that in our content, you'll see that in some branding, you'll see that in some new projects that we're gonna be working on. Um, and so for me, it was a light bulb this year of knowing that it was time to switch that gear. What got you here won't get you there. I was on that end of that spectrum of decision-making. And so to answer your question really directly, like if you are an entrepreneur that um, likes negotiating, likes deal-making, likes strategy, wants to put together a couple models, if that's interesting to you, like absolutely you should go do it. Uh, just because I say it's a good idea, like does not mean everybody should. Um, I am not a creative person. Justin and I have never been good at starting things. Like the zero to one part of business is not our sweet spot. We're the one to end guys and whatever and is. Hopefully it's a big, big thing. But um, back to like the small ideas. We once started a brand to go next one of ours. And like that was a cash and time suck. It didn't go well. Um, we are micro PE. We are operators that want to take capital that we can access from ourselves and our lenders. And we want to go buy and operate and grow businesses. That's what we're good at. If you're a product person, if you're like the idea guy that like takes um, and invents physical products, you probably don't want to buy somebody else's business. You probably want to go invent more of your own physical products. Like probably that's what that's your core competency, your real skill set. Uh, if you're a really good operator, if you like scaling teams, like buying media, you understand different channels and attribution and go to market and supply chain. Like that skill set is very different, and you might be more suited towards going and buying another business. It's definitely a um, a spreadsheet job, like you need to be really good at financial modeling. It's also um, a sales and negotiation job of figuring out what you're going to buy and how you're going to do it. So for me, it's a great fit. I'm not good at, at starting things. Uh, so they have some clarity around that. And if you identify with some of the things I just said, like, yeah, go buy Roland's course, um, follow some people on the internet like me to talk about it a lot. Uh, there's no shortage of resources to do that. And it's a great way to achieve um, growth financially and like big outcomes. Um, some of the biggest businesses in the world um, create their own products and, they, and build great things. And the other big businesses buy those companies um, and, and do financial engineering. So know uh, which one's right for you, I guess. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a great takeaway. I think that's so important for every entrepreneur to understand, like, where is your zone of genius? You know, really doing self-introspection and being able to identify, like, am I just the idea guy? And I love starting something from scratch and, and just bringing it to life. And that's my enjoyment. But as soon as it gets to the point where I need to start building out teams and processes, that's just draining for me. And I'm like, done. I like, let's just get rid of the business. Like, I'd rather go start something new. Like, then, yeah, obviously, like acquisitions is probably not something, mergers and acquisitions is not something you should probably be diving into. But on the other hand, if you get, you know, kind of your thrill and a lot of energy from watching something that's already got a good foundation, you love building those systems processes around that business and you have a good vision of what it can potentially become, then I think acquisitions can be a great um, solution for those people. Because I think there's a portion of like, I know you said you're not necessarily creative, Kelsey, but I think like as a visionary, you still have to have like a little bit of creativity to come up with that vision, right? Of, hey, maybe the initial entrepreneur brought it to, you know, let's say a half a million dollars a year, maybe a million dollars a year. But then you see potential in it to say, oh, wow, they've got a great foundation. I think this thing can go even further. Would you agree with that assessment? Like you've still got to sure. have some creativity, right? Yeah. Um, creativity can mean a lot of things. Uh, maybe when I think of creative, I think of the people that work in an organization that like draw pictures and come up with colors and patterns and create content and are like creative. Whereas when I think of what I'm good at, um, it expresses itself differently. It's not like visual arts or communication creativity. It is like idea creativity and business model creativity. I would 100% agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say that too, because, you know, I myself would not title myself as a creative person, right? My wife is our graphic designer who's in incredible. She's creative, right? But I had a friend tell me, he's like, you know, you're very creative, you know? And I was like, oh, why do you say that? He's like, just the way you approach business, you you approach it in a very different way than I think many people look at it with, you know, at a cookie cutter approach. And I was like, ah, oh, you know what? You're, you're right. Like, so that, that meaning of creativity, like let's not do ourselves a disservice entrepreneurs and think that, Hey, we're not creative. Like you have to be creative. I think um, a, like a entrepreneur creativity is like thinking in 3d. Um, you can like see parts of a business, different levers, whether it's like literally in a financial statement model, or it's just like, this theoretical abstract idea of like, well, we have this product line and they have that product line. If we put them together and like, that's a creative idea. I, I call that thinking in 3D. Um, mm -hmm. Everybody can think in two dimensions. Thinking in third dimensions is a very entrepreneurial, very visionary skill set to be able to observe circumstances, kind of hold it up and twist it around in the light and look at it different ways. And literally in your mind's eye, like recreate a reality that other people literally just can't see. I used to think that the visionary um, thing kind of sounded pompous. I didn't like the title. It's this EOS like moniker that like I was like that's a little pretentious or something. And I realized like I literally do see things other people just don't see, and that's not me bragging. It's like that's actually how it works. Um, my business partner Justin calls it like throwing a grenade over the wall. I'm like, hey guys, we need to do this. <laughs> He's like, well, we were like on this really steady clip, and everything was going fine. Then you threw a grenade in the mix, and I think your grenade's better, but it now causes a bunch of problems. It's really real. So if you identify with that, yeah. if you're listening to this, I would encourage you to embrace it. I probably should have embraced it sooner for our partnership and our team. Um, it, it's pretty real. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that that is so important. I, I know we spent a lot of time talking about that like self-identification process, um, but I think it is very crucial. 
The next thing I want to dive into, Kelsey, here is if somebody has determined that, hey, yeah, acquisitions is for me, this is something I want to get into, you know, I think with your experience, why don't you go ahead and I think the best way to do this is by experience, you know, maybe share a couple of case studies of, you know, hey, what's a brand that you know, you guys acquired and you guys were able to explode its growth, right? It was a great success story. And then on the flip side, what have, what's been a mistake that you guys acquired something didn't pan out and why? Let's kind of break those things down. Yeah, for sure. Um, we have historically bought uh, most of our businesses on the market. So there's a broker or intermediary that has the, uh, a contract to sell a company and the, the owner wants to sell it. Uh, so for a long time, I cast pretty wide net and looked at a variety of things. Uh, one of our best success stories, our, our biggest business today is our emergency food business. Um, we bought it for not a lot of money. It was pretty distressed. It was not healthy. Uh, but we had a bunch of reasons that we don't have time for in today's podcast to think that it was a good idea. And so we executed on that plan and it went sideways. It went okay for 12 or 18 months. And then um, this like global pandemic happened and being in emergency food during global pandemic um, is a good thing. So we had a couple of good years and we're still chugging along in a good place. Um, on the other hand, we have uh, a business we bought uh, about the same time that Valley took off with the pandemic. Uh, we bought our cloth diaper business. And we were incredibly distracted with a back order list of 7,000 orders that we didn't have the inventory to fill, um, social distancing in the warehouse, all this weird stuff of like trying to seize this demand that we were able to capture. And then also buy, relocate, and integrate this new, new cloth diaper business. Um, and we just made a lot of mistakes. It's really basic operational stuff. They just went really poorly. And we were about two and a half or three years delayed on like, the original business plan of like what we wanted to do with that buy. We thought we were buying a very old established brand, which we did. We had a bunch of ideas about ways to improve it, modernize it, bring it forward. And in the two and a half years that it took us to get our arms around it, the market shifted, some things changed. Now it's a much tougher hill to climb um, because we had this outside circumstance of coronavirus and the explosion and growth for our food business. Um, I think the punchline to all that is I don't think there's a tactical like piece of advice that somebody should, should do something. The observation I take away from it every time I, I go through this is in our business of, of buying a portfolio with the desire for diversification, I believe we will have power law outcomes. There'll be some that are phenomenally great, a bunch that are average, and some that maybe even go poorly. Um, and so for us, number of at-bats and number of reps is most important because on average, we will have plenty of winners, but we need to keep swinging to ever connect and hit the home run because of the baseball analogy. Um, and so for us, the, the observing the, that dichotomy of planning versus reality and getting enough at bats has been a really important learning for me. Yeah, I, I love that takeaway that you shared there. It's the number of at bats. I think it's similar for our own business where we have 1300 different SKUs. My wife's a graphic designer. We can put designs on multiple products. And so for us, it's the same thing I was telling my team. Hey, like even if this this particular product that we're going to come out with is just going to hit a single, like that's okay. Because if we're still always striving to launch new product after new product after new product, some of those are going to hit home runs. Some of those might be triples or doubles, and that's okay. But like at the end of the day, and some of them I might strike out on, which is all good. But you've got to keep being consistent, showing up, swinging at the plate. And I love the the whole baseball analogy here. But it's vital. And so whether your growth strategy is you have unlimited, you know, uh, 
future products that you can launch, then it's kind of the same thing. Keep launching those products, testing stuff out, see what sticks. But also on the flip side, it sounds like with mergers and acquisitions, sometimes it's going to be about the same thing. Sometimes you're going to win some, sometimes you're going to lose some. But I think obviously, Kelsey, with your experience, I'm sure that as you look at deals on the marketplace, right, because you're you're going through brokers most of the time, like you said, they're they're live, you know, public listings. You know, what what have you learned from that experience of things to avoid? Mm, um, yeah, things to avoid. Lots. There's lots to uh, avoid. Um, we really look for businesses that are um, diverse, stable and established. That's just what we're good at. Um, we're not incredibly. Um, uh, I'm, I'm missing the word here. We're not incredibly talented growth marketers. We're not going to take something that's muddling along and just send it to the moon. It's not to okay. say that we don't know how to grow businesses. Of course we do. Like we're, we're running marketing all day long, every day. Uh, I don't think that I'm going to find something for sale and presume I can just 10x it. Uh, we're much more likely to look for things that are very diverse, very established, very repeatable, and then just try to make a bunch of incremental improvements along the way and let those compound. That's really our playbook. And so when I look at all the things that I see, to get back to your question, I'm looking for many, many, many little things that all of which together have a compounding effect through time. It makes sense. So you're looking for something that's more stable. You're not looking for an innovative product that you're like, oh my gosh, if I just em employ my TikTok strategy, yeah. we're going to take this thing to the moon, right? Correct. What are some of the core strengths that you feel like you guys have in you know 365 Holdings then that as you look at acquiring businesses, you see as opportunities for yourself that you're like, hey, you know what? If we do this, if we acquire this brand because of our specialty in XYZ, we'll yeah. be able to make more efficiencies, those 1% incremental improvements. What are those? So um, really we have that spectrum of, of things. There's kind of a similar spectrum to answer this question um, about like how many ideas we can take from another business that we already own and go implement and how much we should just leave alone. Kind of like, hey, it's a good business. We should just buy it and, and run it the way it's run. Uh, we've gone back and forth on that spectrum of change and innovation, um, and we're trying to refine that model. Um, the answer to your question is we're a vertically integrated big team. So we're usually going to find a business where the founder is going to say, well, I never had time to do X, or I wish we would have had more investment into Y, or I didn't understand this. Or I look in their ad account, I'm like, that's not right, that's not right. Like, nobody's audited this in a long time, like with Clavia, whatever it is. Um, we want to see a lot of those things that there's opportunities where we have made mistakes is presuming too much about a different business that we have that we can just copy paste and it's gonna work great. It's a really fine line, a really like tough balance to strike there from decision-making of what to leave alone and what to improve. So we're trying to get better at that through time, but we're looking for lots of those little compounding things that are throughout the org. And so for us, that's like postage and pick pack internally, our cost versus theirs. Um, media buying and creative and what their costs are currently versus what our team's going to do with it. Um, supply chain, how, uh, what they're doing for purchasing and MOQs and financing and how we're going to do it. It's so like, we're looking at all of those things because we have a full team. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's, that's very smart. I was speaking with another, um, gentleman that also acquires, you know, Amazon FBA businesses. And one of the things that he had talked about is that so many people come up with this new idea or they have a product. But one of the things they don't pay attention to 
is like the size of the product and how that's going to impact your Amazon fulfillment fees. And he's like, I can go into a, like if I see an Amazon listing and through a quick check, I can see that I can add an extra half a million dollars to the bottom line just by tweaking the packaging or reducing the product size by one inch or something like that. He's like, that's where I dive in. And I was like, that is, that's a fascinating strategy. And it sounds like, you know, for yourself, it's similar. It's like, what's my zone of genius? We've got, you know, finance, you know, POs negotiating with suppliers. You have your own internal pick and pack and warehousing. So I think you have a lot of strengths there. Uh, it leads me to my next question. I think a lot of people have this kind of uh, preconceived notion that, hey, I'm going to have this holding company and I'm going to be able to share all of these services. Um, you know, I have one accounting team or I have one warehouse. And then look at this. I can have as many brands as I want and share those services across the board. What has been your experience with that? Is that true, false, and why? Definitely that easy, 100%. Um, I'm being facetious. Um, yes, it sounds really good. I'm usually the one that puts together those stories and tells everybody how great it's going to be. Um, <laughs> the reality for us, I would say, is mixed. I think for every one of those efficiencies, at least at the get-go, we have an offsetting um, disefficiency or problem or challenge through split attention and different systems and processes. Over time, we accumulate more and more efficiency. It is not instantaneous, and it's definitely not easy, and it's a whole mountain of work to get there. In the long run, I think we'll broadly be more efficient. I still think even with six brands and 80-something people and the, the scale that we're at today, we're still way too subscale to realize what that is. Is that another one or two points of EBITDA? Like Maybe if we double, um, mm. possibly. But right now, um, it's likely a wash. All really good ideas, all fundamentally sound, but like there's a lot of assumptions baked into that conversation. And a yeah. lot of things change. You might, back to your Amazon example, like you might buy the business predicated on changing the packaging and then it takes six months to get the new packaging and your financial model had it baked in from day zero and the supplier delays it and this happens and Amazon changes their prices anyways and suddenly it never materializes. Like those types of things happen. That's very true. Looks good on paper, right? And then sometimes when it gets to the practical application of things, gets a little bit more challenging. Um, Kelsey, I want to also ask you, as you approach some of your brands and you've had experience scaling multiple brands um, in the e-commerce space, is there a particular strategy that you would recommend or kind of general advice that you would give to a seven-figure seller that does want to scale to eight figures and beyond? What would you say is some of the most important things for them to be focusing on? Is it marketing, operations, yeah. what? Uh, you should think really, really, really deeply and spend an obsessive amount of time understanding your CAC LCD cohorts and segmenting and pivoting how you view customer acquisition and the cohorts of customers that you have through time uh, by products, by channel, by campaign, by avatar type, by landing page. You should spend a lot of time really, 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 really understanding that dynamic in your business and then isolating the really high value segments and understanding your best business ideas in the next quarter or year, whether it's product development, whether it's marketing campaigns, whether it's M&A, whatever your strategy is. But I fundamentally believe that every business on the planet is just a giant CAC LTV equation. And thankfully, e-commerce makes that like so easy that we can be yeah. a six-figure, seven-figure, eight-figure little company and have like phenomenally precise data about that. 
Um, there are way bigger companies that don't actually have the ability to measure that precisely. Like Chipotle doesn't really know what my cap was 15 years ago, but they're glad I go like pretty frequently now. I've got, I've got a good LTV at Chipotle. Um, but as, as e-commerce guys, like we can get really precise. Like we can get all upset about the Facebook pixel. We got to go by triple whale now. And I'm like, come on, like you can go measure your spend, count your new customers and see what they spend. Like if you don't want to buy fancy software, just get a, a kid with a spreadsheet and build yeah. a pivot table and figure it out. Um, really obsessing over ways to understand it, ways to optimize it, ways to lean into it, ways to develop it is, I think, the most high value work you can do as an e-commerce founder or executive. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And whether you sell, you know, D to C on Shopify, your own website, or even if you're selling on Amazon, the rule still applies, right? The difference with Amazon is, okay, the Amazon's getting some traffic to you, but you still got to pay for ads. You know, there's a portion of external traffic that you're driving as well. And at the end of the day, it's that lifetime value of the customer. Amazon's released a few new tools that allow you to do that as Finally. well, because I think that they see so many brands have been complaining about that and there's more competition. I think TikTok just recently announced that they want to open up fulfillment centers, right? And try to be a competitor to Amazon, which I'm all game for more competition for Amazon. I think it, makes them they can't just keep jacking up their fees it makes them have to provide a better service to their sellers so it'll be interesting to see the landscape and and to that point kelsey what do you see happening over the next five to ten years uh for the, in the e-commerce space where do you see the puck going uh cac is going to go up uh clicks will get more expensive um that's all i know for sure now um uh, our, our whole thesis for 365 is really around this idea of micro brands. So you go back to um, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago when like American consumerism started like just post-World War II and you get um, a small number of really big brands that grow and they use mass media, radio, TV, billboard um, to, to penetrate American household spending. And now we have the inverse of that. The internet has unlocked the long tail and we use big tech, so Facebook and Google and Amazon, and we have many, many, many small brands. I think the number of durable, profitable micro brands, the small but um, meaningful, is going to explode. And then there's gonna be thousands of organic peanut butter and vegan leather belts and dog brushes and stuff you clean your car with, like all these categories where people see ads and they buy something. I think that we are just at the beginning portion of the type of unique product market fit that you can unlock on the internet about long tail brands. The hard part for that is many of them are not nine figure revenue businesses. Very few of them right. are public. None of them should raise venture capital. Um, they're good, good small businesses. It's the same thing that happened on first in Maine a hundred years ago at a brick and mortar retail shopkeeper's store. We're just doing it on the internet now because FedEx will take the box there for you. Uh, and I just think there's going to be a lot of those. I think that our market of e-commerce businesses will grow substantially. You can see the data uh, from the Fed about the growth of e-com penetration. I think retail matters. Like Walmart's not going away. People still go to stores. Right. I get all that. I think that brands are going to get more and more important. And the bifurcation between lowest cost denominator on Amazon and kind of the nice site of like um, the, the race to the bottom there is going to get exacerbated against more premium, more niche, more well-defined, more avatar-driven, like real D2C brands, whether they sell on Amazon or not, I just mean like real brands versus yep. commodity. I think we're unlock more real brands. Yeah, I 100% I agree. And that's 
time and time again as we've had multiple guests on the podcast talk about what is what's going to evolve over the next five to ten years on Amazon. It's long gone are the days of just creating me too products or just drop shipping products or some cheap white label product that you just threw a brand name on. You've got to have a whole brand story and tell, telling, giving people an experience around that. And I agree with your point that I think a lot of these micro brands are going to just continue to grow and thrive because of the barriers to entry, I think, continue to get lower and lower and lower. If you think about it, you know, it was tough to get into retail, you know, a decade ago or two decades ago, for sure. You'd have to go pitch your, you know, products to get them into, you know, retail, uh, a Walmart or something like that. In addition to that, you've got to front all of that inventory. You can't really run a small test per se. You've got to pay slotting fees, right? And this is, this is not easy uh, in the retail game. And then along comes Amazon and they lower that barrier to entry. It's like, you have a product? Okay, just put up a listing, take some images of it and bam, like go test it out. And I think what's going to be interesting with, you know, TikTok and Walmart and who knows what else is going to come out. I think that those barriers to entry are going to get even lower than they are now. It's going to be easier for people to just start something from, you know, their basement and yeah. put something online. But ultimately, I think it's all going to revolve around a brand or, you know, somebody that has a community of people, right? If you want to launch a brand, I think like establishing a community and building that now is going to be even more important. Um, in the future. So thanks for sharing your thoughts, predicting the future. We'll see what that crystal ball looks like. Uh, you know, five years from now, we'll have to jump up on the podcast again, Kelsey. Um, I've got a couple questions here that I want to ask you as we wrap up here, but, um, I want to first ask you about Holdco conference. Is this something that, uh, you know, you would recommend for e-commerce sellers? When's the next one happening and why should people show up? Um, would I recommend it for e-commerce sellers? If you are a multi-business entrepreneur, e-commerce or not, that is um, wants to grow and scale, and you've got multiple millions of revenue and multiple, maybe dozens of employees, like yeah, like you should you should be there. You'll learn a lot about multi-business M and A and entrepreneurship and how to think about um, all those challenges. Scaling a team uh, was a, was a big topic this year. Uh, whether you're in e-commerce or not, that's the place for you, I, I, I would say. If you're a single business operator who is not doing the multi-business thing, e-commerce or not, um, no, it's not really geared towards like scaling a single business. It's geared towards having a portfolio of businesses. There's unique challenges with asset allocation. How much money am I putting in these businesses? Human resource allocation, the team structures, all these interesting things come up in the hold co sense. Uh, the next one is hopefully going to be uh, September of 2023 in Cleveland, Ohio. Again, um, you can sign up for early notification of those details at holdcoconf.com. Or if you follow me on Twitter, I'm sure I'll be talking about it at some point. Uh, but details are not yet final. The recordings we just released this week, actually. So if you want to see some of the content that was there this year, you can catch most, but not all of it. Um, the content's great. If you're coming just for the content, you can catch the recordings. If you want to meet cool people like Josh, that's why you come to HoldcoConf is to have really great in-depth conversations with actual operators. Like Everybody there has a substantial seven, eight, or nine-figure business. They're running like real payroll, real businesses. Come to have those conversations if you're interested in coming. Uh, shoot me a DM or, or reach out if you have any questions. Awesome. I definitely recommend it. It was one of my favorite Appreciate conferences that. that I attended this year. So thanks Thank for so sharing those, those details. All right. Now, before I ask you our final wrap up questions here, Kelsey, 
I love to leave the audience with three actionable takeaways from each episode. So here are the three takeaways that I noted, Kelsey. Let me know if you think I'm missing something here. But number one, I think entrepreneurs need to do a little bit of self-introspection and they need to understand where their zone of genius is, right? As they look at the vision for the business that they have, as they try to determine, hey, is it better for me to try to exit this business and go start a new one from scratch? Or is it better to try to keep growing my existing business and even potentially get into mergers and acquisitions as a way to grow and take it to the next level? You first got to identify, like, where's your skill set at? Are you the guy that's just the ideas and you get the thrill going from zero to one? Or are you the guy that gets the thrill from adding systems and processes and scale and team building to go from one to N, right? So I think that's number one. Number two, once you understand that, then you got to dive in and, and, actually start taking action. Whatever those goals are, you need to identify and create the vision first of where your brand is going to be or your business. If you're creating a holding company, create that vision and then identify your levers. What are the big levers in the business that are going to actually move the needle? Because you can't do everything. You've got to identify those big rocks. Then from those big rocks, you could take further actions. And I think finally is if somebody is interested in getting into mergers and acquisitions, I think there's no better way to learn it than by experience. Like you mentioned, Kelsey, you've got to just get as many at-bats as possible. You know, as you begin, you know, maybe there's a few strikeouts. Kelsey, you talked about that early on with, you know, 365 holdings. You started acquiring a lot of small guys and you're like, ooh, maybe that wasn't the best decision. But you only learn that by experience and the mistake it's only a big failure or mistake if you don't learn from that mistake and it sounds like you have learned from those mistakes those are kind of my three actionable takeaways for our guests would you add anything to that kelsey anything i missed i love it great summary awesome all right so as we wrap up here a couple quick quick questions for you what has been the most influential book that you've read and why oh man um my bookshelves in the video behind me if anybody's watching this. You just, you just uh, have in, a few. In the video format, yeah. Um, the one that most recently struck, uh, stands out to me for a number of reasons um, is Ben Horowitz's Hard Thing About Hard Things. Uh, once you're out of the startup phase and you're running like a real team of like six, five, eight, 10, 12 people or, or more, like give that book a read. If you're worried about the recession next year, give that book a read. Awesome. That's a great recommendation. I've, I've heard of that book before. have to dive into that one. Uh, next, what is your favorite productivity tool or resource that you use? Superhuman. Uh, I use it for email, and it was started by the guy who did the original uh, Gmail extension that brought in like social contacts on the, the right-hand side of the screen. So you got like a LinkedIn profile and some other stuff. Uh, they built an email app that was really built around like keyboard power user, very fast interface. I'm a big fan of Superhuman. That's cool. That is one I have not, I think I've heard of it before, but one I haven't really looked into much, but my emails can, my email inbox only continues to grow. And I think many people can relate with that. And I think it sounds like there's some amazing features there. Thanks for sharing that tip. All right. Last question here. Who is some, someone you admire or respect most in the e-commerce space and why? Oh man. I remember you gave me these prep questions and I was like, Ooh, who am I going to call out for this? There's so many people that I think uh, have influenced my thinking. I um, said earlier that like we didn't come from marketing or e-commerce or anything when we got into this. And we've learned from like a lot of people. Um, I don't know that I, I'm going to 
I'm going to wuss out and not give you one. Uh, but I'll say that if you go to our website, I've got some articles that are kind of um, some of our uh, like essays on things we believe about how and why we run the business that we, we run. And uh, different employees and new hires, it's part of our content marketing. The bottom of each one of those, though, I call out people that influence that particular um, thought that I had, because none of it was original. I've copied all of those things, but I've distilled them in a way that I think is probably unique. Um, and so like in marketing and e-commerce, um, names like Gary Vee, um, names like Roland Frazier uh, are certainly uh, frequent. Um, there's some like really modern thinkers in, in D2C, people like um, Taylor Holiday at CTC. Um, there's, just, there's a lot of people. So go like look at those articles and scroll down to the bottom and just read the credits because um, yeah, many, many, many people have influenced um, the business we have today. I love it. I think there's there's a wealth of knowledge out there, and I think you shared some some great names. So another ad to go have people go check out the 365 Holdings website there and the content they're sharing. Kelsey, uh, where would you like people to come reach out to you if they want to learn more and, and keep following what you're doing? If you're interested in the conference, go to holdcoconf.com. If you want to chat with me, I, uh, DMs are open on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. You, my email address is not hard to guess uh, if you know how to spell my name. Uh, I'm always happy to hear from people and just kind of chat and talk shop. So feel free to reach out if you want to see the 365 stuff. That is 365-holdings.com. Awesome. Kelsey, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.